Great Gildersleeve. Lux <laughs> <laughs> presents Hollywood. Now cut that out! Vix presents Dangerously Yours, a half hour of romance and adventure starring Victor Jory. In Barclay Square. First, here's a good thing to remember when you catch a cold. The best-known home remedy for relieving miseries of colds is Vicks Vapor Rub. And now... I am adventure. In my name, men have traversed the highways, the byways, the skyways of the world. Have traveled old trails and blazed new ones. I am the fire that burns in the heart of youth. That makes men dream and dare and conquer. I am dangerously yours. This week, come with me to England to meet a young American who inherited an ancient house and lived one of the strangest adventures any man has ever known. Peter Standish of Barclay Square. Tell me I've been very ill. Perhaps I have. But I've also been on the most inconceivable adventure that could be imagined. I have crossed the bridge from the present to the past. I have gone from this century back into the 18th century. I have traded places with my own great-great-grandfather, Peter Standish. That same great-great-grandfather whose portrait hangs there over the fireplace. When this strange adventure began, I was with Marjorie. Peter, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Why, you might have sat for that portrait of your great-great-grandfather yourself. Marjorie, wouldn't you love to change places with him? Just imagine walking the quiet streets of London in the 18th century, breathing pure air instead of gasoline, riding in sedan chairs instead of taxi cabs. Wouldn't that be an adventure? Mm, yes, but it would be an impossible one, Peter. No, you're wrong. What I'm getting at is this. But to God, there is no past, present, and future. Time as we know it is nothing but an idea in the mind, in the mind of man. Do you see, Marjorie? Peter, darling, you've been working too hard. You aren't being practical or sensible. You haven't been from the time you inherited this house and came here to live. I don't think it's good for you. This house gave me the idea. I tell you, the possibility of going back in time is perfectly logical. It may sound convincing, Peter, but of course it's impossible. No, my dear, the past is over and gone. You're wrong, Marjorie. Look, I have some of the past right here in my hands. It's Peter Standish's diary. Would you like to know a little about him? I've been studying it so hard, I know it almost by heart. His trip from New York to England took 27 days in a bark called the General Wolf. It says, too, that Reynolds didn't want to paint his portrait. That's the one over the fireplace. I've been curious about that. But he must have painted it. It's obviously Reynolds. Yes, that's certain. 
Now, let's see. Oh, yes. He married the eldest Pettigrew girl, Kate, in this very house. They had children who died here. And there was a younger sister, Helen. Her family tried to force her into a marriage she hated. The diary stops before that's settled. And look here. Please, Peter, it's all very interesting, but suppose you tell me about it some other time. Oh, you look so tired and flushed. I'm going to get you some tea. I wish you understood. Marjorie, are you sure you want to marry me when there's so much you don't understand about me? Of course I want to marry you, darling. You're just a little tired. You don't really think you could go back into the 18th century. Now, you just sit there while I get you some tea. I sat there staring about the room, staring at the rich, mellowed walls, the satin-smooth tables, the dignified chairs. And the past was alive in that room, and I knew it. The firelight flickered on the ceiling and touched to gold the face of my ancestor, Peter Standish. And in some curious way, I felt as though I were looking at myself. And then outside, I heard... I heard a coach on cobblestones. And then I laughed to myself. A coach? Cobblestones? Why, they had had wood blocks in Barclay Square for ages. They were quieter even than the asphalt in New York. And then I heard a woman's footsteps. And I turned, expecting to see Marjorie, and saw... Oh! I bid you good evening. I suppose you're my cousin Peter from America. We had your notes that you'd arrived in London. How did you get into the house without any of us hearing you? I jumped to my feet, staring at her. Staring at this woman dressed in hooped satin. Her hair piled high on her head. Her shoulders bare. I touched my own sleeve. That was satin, too. I looked down and saw that I was dressed in the clothes of the man in the portrait. Then I looked to the wall, but it was gone. There was no portrait there. Well, Cousin Peter, are you going to stand there staring at me all evening? I... I beg your pardon. You must be my cousin. My cousin Kate. Or is it Helen? I'm Kate, sir. But how did you get here in all this rain without getting wet? Well, I... I came in a coach. Oh, I see. I rang the bell, but no one answered, so I came in. The bell? You rang the bell? What bell? Oh, oh, I mean... The knocker, of course. Well, in any event, I'm most happy to welcome you, Cousin Peter. And if you'll come with me, my mother, sister, and brother will also bid you welcome. We've all been looking forward to this meeting for some time. I followed her out into the hall, my heart pounding with excitement. The miracle had come to pass. I was in the 18th century. We went down the hall, and there in the gracious candlelit sitting room was the Pettigrew family. Lady Anne and Helen, and the young Pettigrew, Tom, looking a bit the worse for drink. There was also a small, fat, unpleasant-looking man who I judged to be Helen's unwanted suitor, Mr. Throssell. Lady Anne gave me a most cordial welcome. Well, well, Cousin Peter, what a delight this visit of yours is indeed. Kate has been all aflutter about it for weeks. Indeed, so have we all. How gracious of her. And of you. This is my other daughter, Helen. How do you do, Cousin Peter? How do you do, Cousin Helen? And this is my son, Tom. How do you do? Who will no doubt show you around town. And this is Helen's fiancé, Mr. Throssell. How do you do, Mr. Throssell, gentlemen? It's my pleasure, gentlemen. Uh, did you like the cashmere shawl your aunt sent you for your birthday, Helen? Cashmere shawl? Is there a shawl in that parcel? 
I haven't opened it yet. Peter, how could you possibly know it was a shawl? How could you possibly know? I don't, really. It, it was only a guess. You see, well, shawls are so popular nowadays. Well, aren't you clever to guess? It is a shawl. My sister wrote me about it. Well, come now. You must be shown to your room. Dinner's not so long away. Come, my dear boy, come. <laughs> Come in. Oh, hello, Helen. Pardon the intrusion, Peter. Mother thought I should see if you were comfortable. I'm very comfortable, thank you. Where's Kate? She's helping Mother downstairs. Uh, Cousin Peter, may I ask you something? Why, of course. Are you in love with Kate? Well, I... Why do you ask? You never saw her before this afternoon. And yet you and Mother arranged your betrothal before you ever came to England. Of course... It may be a young and stupid fancy on my part, but I always thought that two people had to meet before they fell in love. It seems strange. You're quite right. Helen. Yes? Will you help me? There's a lot that's strange to me about this country. I'll need a bit of guidance. Why, yes, I'd be very glad to. And now I'll leave you. Good afternoon, Cousin Peter. Helen. Yes, Peter? You're very sweet. Yes? And I think my great-great-grandfather was absolutely screwy. Screwy? Uh, uh, that, uh, that's just a New York expression. Oh. Uh, good afternoon, Helen. Good afternoon, Cousin Peter. Oh, excuse me for banging the door. <laughs> curved to fit my heart, eyes that danced in the candlelight, hair like blue-black midnight sky. In the days that followed, I could not keep my eyes nor my thoughts away from her. And yet I knew that I must marry Kate. But Kate, after the first few days, kept away from me. It was Helen that was by my side constantly. It was Helen who took me to Sir Joshua Reynolds' studio. Turn your face toward the window, please. Hmm. Mr. Standish, I am very sorry, but I must refuse the commission. I cannot paint you. What? Why, Sir Joshua, you did paint. Uh, I mean, that's impossible. I wish I could paint you, Mr. Standish, but I'm a painter of realities. And there's uh, something in your face and your eyes that's unreal. Something I would never be able to capture. Why, I... I never heard of such rot. Come, Peter. There's no point in arguing. But he must paint me. He did paint me. He... Oh, never mind. You wouldn't understand. Good day, Sir Joshua. I hope you'll change your mind. Change my mind? I'd as soon paint the devil as to paint you. Kate, wasn't this to be my dance? Yes, but I... I have a headache. I don't quite feel up to dancing just now. Well, since you have a headache, Kate, let's go outside in the balcony for a breath of air. Well, I, I really shouldn't. I I wanted to see Mother. Uh, just for a moment, Kate. Come, let's go out here. It's a beautiful night, isn't it? Yes, I... I suppose so. Kate, what's the matter? You've been avoiding me all evening. Have I? You certainly haven't been avoiding my sister. Don't tell me you're jealous. You don't need to be, you know. Jealous? No, I'm relieved. 
But I fear for Helen. Peter Standish, you're a very strange and frightening man. Oh, now, Kate, you're letting gossip upset you. I know what people are saying about me, and of course it's ridiculous. Yes, you know what people are saying. And you know what I'm thinking right now. You always know. You know what's going to happen before it happens. Oh, no, Kate, no. Not the way you think. And why are you looking so startled? There's nothing to be afraid of. Oh, I thought you loved me. You, you mustn't talk like that. Why, my dear, we're going to be married. Married? Do you think I'd marry you when I'm hard put to it to force myself to remain alone with you? Sir Joshua saw it. Everyone sees it. There's something that's... that's not human about you. Kate, you're overwrought. You'll... you'll feel differently in the morning. In the morning, I shall drive to Budley. I cannot stay in this house with you any longer. I see. You're breaking our engagement? You can't do that. Oh, can't I? How smugly you say it. So you think there are no limits to what a wizard can do with a woman. The women all press after you, don't they? But no woman wishes to dance with you twice, except Helen. Peter Standish, I never was so afraid of anything in my life as I am of you. And you think you can make me marry you? (laughs) I'd as soon marry the devil. I'm leaving London in the morning and I'll not return to this house as long as you're in it. And you can be sure I'll do everything in my power to get you out of it. Oh, Helen. Peter, come and dance with me. You're not afraid of me, Helen. You're not afraid to dance with me. How can you be afraid of someone you love? Oh, come and dance with me, Peter. In just a moment, we will bring you the second act of Dangerously Yours. Well, here it is fall again, and first thing you know, the children may be coming home from school with nasty colds. Too bad. But this time, Mother, don't take needless chances with untried remedies. Instead, relieve distress the modern way most young mothers now use. When your child catches a cold, rub the throat, chest, and back with Vicks Vapor Rub. Then see how quickly VapoRub starts to work to bring grand relief as it penetrates. Penetrates into the cold, congested upper bronchial tubes with its special soothing medicinal vapors and at the same time stimulates. Stimulates chest and back surfaces like a warming poultice. This penetrating, stimulating action of VapoRub keeps on working for hours to bring relief and comfort. And often, most of the distress of a cold is gone overnight. Now stick to VapoRub this winter, Mother, because only VapoRub gives you this special penetrating, stimulating action to relieve miseries of colds. Vicks VapoRub. And now, the second act of Dangerously Yours, starring Victor Jory in Barclay Square. going to walk up and down the library all night? I I can't sleep, Helen. You're worried about Kate, aren't you? Well, don't be. She'll be all right when she returns. Peter, tell me what all this mystery means so that I can explain it to her. Tell me how you can know things you couldn't know. First, it was about my shawl, and, and since then, oh, so many things. Well, Helen, I... 
But it's true, Peter. You do see ahead. We all know you do. Oh, Peter, tell me how you do it. I want to see ahead, too. I'd love to know about the future. But I couldn't tell you, dear. You wouldn't understand. There aren't any words to make you understand. You say there aren't any words because these things must come to your mind in visions, Peter. And I think I could see them, too, through your eyes. Oh, let me try. Look at me, Peter. Look at me. Very well. I'm look... looking. And I was right. I can see. I see this room, this very room. It blazes with magic lights, Peter. And there's your portrait on the wall. Then Riddles did paint it, just as you said he did. Oh, I see sunshine, white clouds, great birds bigger than a hundred eagles. Aeroplanes, machines with men in them. And below them, reaching to the sky, a fairy dream city. And, oh, Peter, look down on the ground. You're looking, Helen, into the great age of mechanism. Trains, automobiles, factories, radio, an age of miracles and of great truths. That's the future, Helen. Peter, you know the future. Tell me ours. I don't know our future. But I do know I love you. If ever a man loved a woman, I do love you. I loved you before I ever saw you. In my first dream of you, coming with a candle from somewhere far away to meet me. Oh, Helen, I can't play a part anymore. I'm myself, you see. I'm myself, and I'm muddling everything up. This isn't possible. This isn't my world or yours. It isn't my life, and it isn't your life. Oh, Peter, take me away with you. Take me back to wherever you came from. I can't, Helen. I can't. Then don't leave me. Oh, Peter, don't leave me. Oh, my beloved. When I kissed Kate, that was the first Peter Standish kissing his betrothed. But there's never been a kiss like this since the world began. Come back from Budley. Well, let me tell you something. Your Peter has asked for Helen's hand in marriage. What do you think of that? Mother, you wouldn't let Helen marry him. You wouldn't do that. This marriage must not be. Don't worry, my dear. I shall see to that. Well, Kate, I'm glad to see you again. Hello, Kate, dearest. Mr. Standish, when you came into this house, although the door was shut and locked, did you come from America? Yes, we are all very curious about that, Mr. Standish. What is the answer? The answer is yes. I do come from America. Oh, really? Mr. Standish, you used some very peculiar expressions at times, and I made a note of them. You said they were expressions used in New York. That's right. Indeed. Well, on my way home, I stopped at the legation in Grosvenor Square. Should not the American minister, Mr. Adams, know what words are used in New York? Mr. Adams is from Massachusetts. I asked him, nevertheless. He had never heard of one of them. As a matter of fact, those expressions are not used in America, and they're certainly not used in England. If they're used at all, the devils use them in hell. It is true Peter Standish came from New York in the General Wolf. You've taken possession of his body. What have you done with him? Kate, I think this has gone quite far enough. I think perhaps we should call your brother Tom to deal with this creature. In the old days, he'd have been burned at the stake. Why not now? You still burn people? 
You burn women accused of witchcraft? You should be whipped for this, sir. Yes, whip people if they're crazy. Flog them in public. As you flog your half-naked lunatics at Bedlam with a crowd of your gaping Londoners looking on. You savages. You, you forget yourself, sir. Your son Tom, madam. You're proud of him, aren't you? You think he's a gentleman. A typical English gentleman of the time. Well, he is. But what a time. Dirt, disease, cruelty, smells. You, Kate, you may be a fool, but you're the best of the lot. For you're trying in your silly way to help Helen now. But as for you, Lady Anne, I've seen you in Sheridan's plays, and I've read you in Jane Austen's novels. You know what you want, and you plow straight ahead over everything and through everything like a... a tank lumbering through the mud. You hit like a tank. Good Francis Adams, what tank means? No, no, it's not Charles Francis Adams. It's John Adams, second president of the United States. Charles Adams won't be until the Civil War in 1861. Peter, Peter! What's one more blunder among so many? Your Peter Standish came from New York to Plymouth in the General Wolf. This Peter Standish flew from New York to Plymouth. Shall I make a few more blunders for you to gibber at, Kate? Shall I drive you to Budley in my car at 90 miles an hour? You fiend from hell. What do I care about you? You're all over and done with, all of you. You're dead. You've rotted away in, in, in your graves. You're all ghosts. That's what you are, ghosts. Do you hear? Go- Come, Helen. Let's get out of here. And I was in love with the past. I was in love with the past. My dearest. Oh, my dearest. I turned and there was Helen. Helen, born of the 18th century. All loveliness, all grace, all beauty. And I caught her to me and rested my cheek against her hair. And something inside me was weeping. For I knew I was holding Helen for the last time. I fought that thought. Helen. Oh, Helen. You know, my dearest, each night I've said, he must go back. But each morning we'd make some new plan together, and I'd think, let me have just one more day. No, I said I would stay, and I will stay. I was a fool and a weakling to talk like that. It won't happen again. I, I couldn't face my own life without you. What life is this for you? Be brave, Peter, and listen. My life, my London, are nightmares to you. Oh, don't be sad, just think. Out of all the millions of lovers since time began, we two alone have been chosen for this miracle. And it is a miracle. Oh, think of what has been given us. Not of what is taken away. Nothing can be taken away. That we came together as we did proves that we weren't meant to lose each other. Yes. Yes, and we shall be together always, Peter. Not in my time or in yours, but in God's. Yes, darling. It must be that way. But I have neither the will nor the strength to leave you. Love will give you the strength. You have your life to live out in the future, Peter. Don't be too sad about a girl who's been dead to you so long. And in my life, as I grow old, your youth will seem to me eternal youth. For you will come, won't you? Young as I see you now, to my grave in St. Mark's churchyard. And you'll find me, for I'll ask for a stone with the letters cut deep, so they won't bear away before you come. Oh, darling. Darling, I love you now. I shall love you in my own time, and in whatever time may come. Then, 
This is our parting, Peter. Goodbye, my dear. Goodbye, my darling. I left her and walked down the corridor into the library. I was dazed. Dazed and empty of everything but sorrow. And there were my own things about me again. 20th century things. There was the portrait on the wall. I felt weak and shaken and bereft. I sat there by the fire all night. In the morning, I walked to St. Mark's churchyard. When I returned, Marjorie was in the library. Peter. Hello, Marjorie. Oh, Peter, you know me. You know me. Know you? Why, of course I know you. For weeks you haven't recognized any of us, Peter. You've been very ill. Ill? Yes. Yes, I've been ill. But you're all right now. You look yourself again. Oh, thank God you're all right now. Marjorie, there's something I must tell you. Yes, Peter. I can't marry you. I'm very sorry, but I'm not in love with you, and it wouldn't be right. All right, Peter. If that's the way you want it, perhaps you'll change your mind. I hope you will. What's that piece of paper you're holding? It's an epitaph. I copied it just now from a tombstone in St. Mark's churchyard. Whose epitaph is it? A girl who... Died 140 years ago. Peter, you're crying. Who was the girl? Peter, speak to me. Please, Marjorie. Please. Leave me alone. Very well, Peter. Here lies in the confident hope of the blessed resurrection and life eternal. Helen Pettigrew, beloved younger daughter of Sir William Pettigrew and Lady Anne Pettigrew, who departed this life June the 15th, 1787, aged 23 years. Oh, my dear. I've seen your shadow on the stairs. I've seen your hand dressed on this desk. I've seen you sitting by that window. You'll always be close to me in this house. You'll always be the living, beautiful soul of this house. And I know that we shall be together. Not in your time, nor in mine, but in God's. If miserable colds strike your family, the thing to do is to get busy right away with Vicks VapoRub. This is the modern way to relieve distress of colds that most mothers now use. Because VapoRub starts to work so quickly to clear the head, ease the coughing, soothe the sore throat and the muscular soreness and tightness. 
You just rub it on, and vapor rub penetrates. Penetrates into the cold, congested upper bronchial tubes with its special soothing medicinal vapors. At the same time, vapor rub stimulates, stimulates chest and back surfaces like a warming poultice. Vapor rub keeps on working for hours to bring welcome comfort and relief. It invites restful sleep, and often by morning, most of the misery of the cold is gone. Now be sure you get vapor rub, because only vapor rub gives you this special penetrating, stimulating action to relieve distress of colds. Vicks Vapor Rub. I am Adventure. Next week, come with me to meet a man who accepted a strange challenge and kept an exciting rendezvous with destiny. Until next week, then, I am dangerously yours. Our script, based on the play Barclay Square, was written by Gene Holloway and directed by Richard Sandville. The role of Helen was played by Gertrude Warner. The music for the series is under the direction of Mark Warno. Be sure and listen next week to another exciting adventure starring Victor Jory in Dangerously Yours. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat welcome 30 new stations to their network tonight as they present Fibber McGee and Molly with songs by the petite and glamorous Martha Tilton, the top-ranking King's Men, and the music of Billy Mills. The show, written by Don Quinn, opens with I'm Not in the Mood. Great to have Fibber and Molly back again, isn't it? They're all tanned and rested after their vacations, and I'm sure they have lots of good fun in store for your Tuesday evenings from now on. Our sponsors, the makers of Johnson's Wax Products, would like to join all of you in giving them a royal welcome. Here's to Fibber and Molly and Don Quinn, the writer, and all the members of this fine cast of performers. May they live long and happily, and may they continue to be your friends and your favorite radio program. And may I thank all of you for our sponsors, because after all, it's your continued and enthusiastic loyalty to Johnson Wax products that has made this whole affair so successful. It's a good thing to remember, by the way, that whenever you buy any Johnson's Wax product, you're buying the best, and you're sure of complete satisfaction. <laughs> good things, even vacations, must come to an end. And a good thing, too, because a bank account is a good thing, too. And two people we know were coming to the end of that, too. 
And here, just arriving home at 79 Wistful Vista, we find for the first time in 13 weeks those travel-weary, train-tired, ship-shapeless, map-happy homecomers, Fibber McGee and Molly. Heavenly days. Isn't it wonderful to be home again, McGee? Ah, home. A four-letter word meaning no tipping. (laughs) I can hardly wait to see everybody. Tell them about Alaska and the big bear I shot. I'll knock them dead. My, doesn't the house look good? Yeah. Uncle Dennis must have taken wonderful care of it whilst we were gone. Yeah? I'll bet he's got the house full of flies. Why, it's too late in the year for flies. Not for bar flies. <laughs> I wonder if he's home. Well, I'll see. You, Uncle Dennis, it's Molly and Fibber. We're home. You, Uncle Dennis. Maybe he's out. He may be away, but he ain't out. <laughs> that guy can hold more than McGee. any. McGee. Now, will you please stop talking that way about me, Uncle Dennis? He's every inch a gentleman. He is? Remind me to measure him next time he falls down. (laughs) Well, I'll have to admit he's got everything in pretty good order around here. Ah, boy. Let me sit down in my old easy chair a minute. There you are. Ah, paw shot a bar. (laughs) Thank goodness we only have to take one vacation a year. (laughs) Sure tires you out, don't it? (laughs) Yes, but it's been a wonderful trip. You've learned all about salmon fishing, bear hunting, and underwater photography. Huh? What do you mean, underwater photography? You mean it was accidental when you fell out of the canoe with a movie camera? <laughs> oh, dear, look out the window and see who it is, McGee. Oh, it's Mrs. Uppington. Come in, Uppy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, how do you do, Abigail? My, it's nice to see you again. Oh, how do you do, my dear? And Mr. McGee. Hi, Uppy. <laughs> I'm glad to see even you. (laughs) How's the world been treating you? Seldom. Have you had a nice summer, Abigail? Oh, delightful, Mr. McGee, simply delightful. I've spent the summer singing for the boys in the army camp. Oh, but tell me, where have you been and what have you been doing? Well, sir, Uppy, we drove to Seattle and took a boat to Alaska. Wonderful country, too. It's the... Oh, my, how those soldiers did appreciate my singing. I was on the program with another lady singer, you know, and they simply wouldn't let me leave the platform. They kept shouting, more, more, give us more. Oh, well, that must have made the other singer feel fine. Who was she? Uh, Grace Moore, I believe. <laughs> well, let me tell you about Alaska, Uppy. It's a beautiful country. You ain't seen anything till you've seen the first rays of the Arctic sun glinting on the icy waters of Ketchikan Creek with... Oh, you must tell me all about it, Mr. McGee. (laughs) Sometime. But now I simply must be going. I must let nothing interfere with my work for the boys. Oh, did I ever show you the lovely letter of appreciation I received from the White House for my work in a previous national emergency? Yes, you did, Abigail. And I must say it was real thoughtful of President Lincoln to do it. (laughs) Oh, yes, indeed it was. I beg your pardon. It was President Wilson. Goodbye. Wow. If I'd have been you, Molly, I wouldn't have been quite so... I almost forgot. Welcome home. (laughs) 
We're happy to welcome to our show tonight that sensational young songstress, Martha Tilton. Martha? You will shout when it hits you, yes indeed. You will shout when it hits you, yes indeed. When the spirit moves you, you shout hallelujah. Oh, you holler, you holler, yes indeed. Can you play sweet music? Yes, indeed. I mean that really sweet music. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It's sweet as sugar candy. Yes, indeed. Can you play hot music? Yes, indeed. I mean that extra hot music. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It's hotter than a blacksmith's apron. Yes, indeed. When the band starts playing, that is all you need. And you find yourself swaying. Yes, indeed. When the boys start swinging and forget to read, you will find yourself singing. Yes, indeed, you will shout when it hits you. Yes, indeed, you will shout when it hits you. Yes, indeed, when the spirit starts to move you, you'll be shouting hallelujah. Oh, you'll holler, yes, indeed. Oh, you'll holler, yes, you'll to admit, McGee, Uncle Dennis has kept the house in apple pie order. He would. He knows I don't like apple pie. <laughs> Is he home? Yes, he's taking a nap. What's that? I told you. Uncle Dennis is taking a nap. Yeah, but what's that noise? It's a woodpecker. He sleeps like a log. <laughs> Yes, indeed. <laughs> By the way, I wonder if that taxidermist in Seattle has sent me that bearskin yet. Oh, it's too soon, dearie. Takes a little time to cure it, you know. Not when I shoot them. When McGee draws a bead on them, bang. They're cured of whatever troubles they ever had. Come in. Well, well, well. Billy Mills. Hello, Billy. My, it's nice to see you again. Hello, kids. Welcome home. Thanks, Billy. And what kind of a summer did you have? Swell, babe. Very groovy. <laughs> you mean gravy. No, groovy. In the groove. Oh. <laughs> have you the same bunch of nice boys in your band this year, Billy? Yeah, I'll put my scribble player. Had to let him go. Why, Bill? You know what a scribble is? No. Neither did he. Neither did I. So I had to let him go. <laughs> Well, we went up to Alaska, Billy. Great country, too. Yeah, I've heard of it. Up that way, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you ought to run up there sometime, Billy. 
Boy, if you could ever get a load of the first rays of the Arctic sun glinting on the icy waters of Ketchikan Creek. Ah, Alaska. Say, maybe my secretary would know what a scribble is. Alaska. I'll ask him myself. See you later, babe. So long, Jim. <laughs> Alaska myself. If that ain't the worst pun... Well, he couldn't help it. Uh... He just reads what's rotten. You mean written. I know what I mean. All the time we have... Oh, Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Harlow. Welcome home. Or no, you're supposed to say that. <laughs> All right, welcome home. Have a nice trip. Simply grand, Mr. Wilcox. Did you know we went to Alaska? Yes, I heard about it. Have fun? I'll say. Paul shot a bar. He did? Yes, sir. Gee. Seven feet, three inches from Beezer to Bustle, too. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's a great country, Harlow. If you could ever see the first rays of the Arctic sun glinting on the icy waters of Ketchikan... Country. I had a great time myself this summer, right here in Wistful Vista. You did? Yeah. Boy, if you could only see the beauty as I do... In the first rays of the wistful vista sunshine, glinting on the lovely surface of a freshly glow-coated linoleum, bringing out new life to the pattern and coloring and protecting it from scuffing and cracking, you wouldn't have to go to Alaska. Yes, but you can't shoot bear in somebody's kitchen. He doesn't shoot bear, he shoots the... McGee! (laughs) Incidentally, Molly... You'll have to give me partial credit for your house being so well-kept while you were away. Why, Uncle Harlow? asked Little Fibber, with a mischievous twinkle in his merry blue eyes, because he knew darn well what was in store for all his little radio friends. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) I stopped by and gave Uncle Dennis a lecture on the value of Johnson's glow coat in the home. Oh. I made him set down his tray of ice cubes and really listen. (laughs) Look, Dennis, I said, Molly took great care in selecting that linoleum, and you've got to take good care of it. How, he says, putting the corkscrew back in his pocket. <laughs> With glow coat, I said. It shines as it dries in 20 minutes or less, and dirt and dust wipe right off. Well, that was the story, and now I've got to be getting along, folks. Say, I'm glad you're back. Hey, wait a minute, Harlow. I want to tell you about Alaska. It's the most wonderful... Wait a minute. Have you told anybody else about it? No, he hasn't, Mr. Wilcox. Why? Then don't tell me. You know, I can't keep a secret. <laughs> Ask for myself. Hey, Molly, there's a good place for that bearskin. Right on the floor there in front of the fireplace. Never. Huh? I'm not going to go around doing my housework with that thing showing its big, beautiful white teeth at me like Cesar Romero, and I wish it was. <laughs> I think I'll put it on the floor in front of my bed. Then on cold winter Oh, mornings... look, McGee, never mind the bearskin now. You've got to help me take down the curtains. They're going to the cleaners. Oh, let's do that tomorrow. I never saw such a man. You either work like fury for a few minutes or you sit down doing nothing. <laughs> I know. I'm a member of the sweater set. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. I either sweat or set. <laughs> Don't you get it, Molly? I says I'm a member of the sweater set. It ain't funny, McGee. <laughs> well, so what? You might have gone along with me on our first show. <laughs> well, everybody seems to know we're home again. Yes, the Johnson Wax Company asked me not to keep it confidential. Come in. 
Well, hello, Mrs. McGee. Hello, little chum. Gildersleeve. It's nice to see you, Mr. Gildersleeve. Won't you have a chair and a cup of tea? Uh, no, thank you, Mrs. McGee. I can't stay but a moment. I just dropped in to say goodbye. Goodbye? Where are you going? I'm not going. I've gone. <laughs> <laughs> I've moved to Summerfield. I'm managing the estate of my niece and nephew. Oh, well, what are you going to do with your house here, Gildy? Sell it or rent it? Sell it. Would you care to buy it as an investment? Me? <laughs> <laughs> Why, I wouldn't give you a nickel for that rat-ridden rabbit hutch, Strucky. Oh! Remember when that house had an iron deer out on the front lawn, Molly? Yes. Whatever happened to it? He looked around one day and took a look at that house and ran away. <laughs> no, look here, McGee. I've taken plenty from you in my day, but by George! Oh, my goodness. What's the matter? I must remember to buy George, my caretaker, a little gift. <laughs> He's been taking care of my house this summer. Uh, did you meet him? No, nope, we were up in Alaska, Frocky. There's a wonderful place. I shot one of the biggest bears in Yes, a... and how did you like it, Mrs. McGee? Oh, I had a wonderful time, Mr. Gildersleeve. The way I happened to shoot him was, I was walking around the bend to catch Can Crick, when all of a sudden... Uh, what time is it? It was early in the morning. Just as the first rays of the Arctic sun were glinting on the ice... I mean, what time is it now? 3.30, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, dear. Just got time to catch my train. But I just couldn't go without coming in to say goodbye to you, Mrs. McGee. And Fibber, my little chum. You, you mean uh, we, we ain't going to see you anymore, Gilly? Oh, uh, chin up, little pal. That's life, you know. After all, we're just ships that pass in the night. I hope you miss me as much as... I'm going to miss you. Well, ships that pass in the night had better miss each other. Gildy, old man, I, I hardly know what to say. Well, let's just say this isn't goodbye. It's au revoir. Oh, I, I can't say that, Gildy. Why not? I can't pronounce it. <laughs> Let's just say goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye. Oh, another thing. My lawnmower. What about your lawnmower? McGee never returned it, and I'm going to need it in Summerfield. Now, wait a minute, Gildersleeve. You know very well that ain't your own lawnmower. It is, too. You borrowed it. It was mine, and you borrowed it. What? That broken-down clover clipper has changed hands oftener than the world's wrestling championship. <laughs> Can either of you prove ownership? Yes. How? It's got my initials carved on the underside of the handle. Well, if it has, it's yours, Mr. Gildersleeve. Go get it, McGee. I will not. If he wants it, let him go get it himself. All right, I will. Where is it? It's right in there. Uh, here? Yes. Okay. By George, I'll... Oh, my goodness! McGee, aren't you ever going to straighten out that closet? <laughs> And here, back from their summer vacation, no bigger but better than ever, your favorites and ours, the King's Men, singing Little Liza Jane. I got a gal and you got none, Little Liza Jane. I got a gal and you got none, Little Liza Jane. 
while we were gone. What makes you think so? You know that ship in the bottle on the mantle? Yes. Well, two lifeboats are missing. <laughs> Hardly Come in. Yet. Well, if it ain't old Wallace Wimple. Hi, Wally, old man. Hello, folks. <laughs> Come right in, Mr. Wimple. It's nice to see you again. Thank you, Mrs. McGee. I hope you had just a peachy vacation. <laughs> oh, we did, Wimple, we did. Swell trip. Went up to Alaska. Isn't that wonderful? Mm-hmm. I've been trying to persuade my wife to take a trip up there, too. Oh, you'd simply love it, Mr. Wimple. I know I would, Mrs. McGee, but she won't go unless I go along. I simply can't leave my business. What is your business, Wimple? I'm a poet. <laughs> oh, a poet, eh? Well, you ought to grow a beard, Wimple. Poets are more impressive with beards. I did once, but the people who buy my poetry didn't like it. Oh, to whom do you sell your poetry to? Burma Shave. (laughs) Incidentally, how is your wife, Wimple? Same as ever? Oh, yes. She had a wonderful time listening to the Lewis Nova fight on the radio last night. Oh, how did you like it? I didn't hear it. I was doing the dishes. <laughs> Wimple, what you need is a few weeks in Alaska. Make a man of you. Go up there and hunt and fish and rough it. 
Then come back and assert yourself. That sounds like a wonderful idea, Mr. McGee. Betcha. But do I have to come back? <laughs> Why, of course not. Maybe you wouldn't want to. Boy, if you ever saw the first rays of the sun glinting on the icy waters of Ketchikan Creek... Oh, I'm sorry. There's my wife honking for me. Coming, dear. Goodbye now. So long, boy. Poor Mr. Wimple. Say, what's his wife like, McGee? Well, roughly like the backfield of the Green Bay Packers. (laughs) I hate to say... I hate to say that, loving football the way I do. <laughs> oh, well, look who's here, Molly. Hi, mister. Well. <laughs> When'd you get back? When'd you? Oh, just a little while ago, sis. My, you've grown, haven't you? Your vacation must have agreed with you. Uh, how old are you now? Hmm? I says, how old are you? <laughs> I bet you can't guess, I bet you. Mm, seven? No. Six? Mm-mm. Five? No. Uh, eight? <laughs> no. Well, you must be more than four. You're not nine, are you? No. Oh, well, then I give up. You didn't try five and a half. <laughs> ah, five and a half? No. <laughs> well, anyway, you're a little young to be getting coy about your age. What you been doing this summer, sis? Oh, I went to a Girl Scout camp, I betcha. I'm a brownie. Oh, you are, eh? Mm-hmm. Well, shakes, sis. There's a touch of leprechaun in me, too. <laughs> Gee, it was wonderful, mister. I learned first aid and how to give artificial reciprocation and everything. You did, eh? Hmm? I said you did, eh? Did what? Learned how to give artificial respiration. I know it. Well, if you knew it... Uh, you must have had an interesting summer, sis. We had one, too, though. Went up to Alaska. Did you? You betcha. Ah, Alaska's really marvelous. It's the thrill of a lifetime to be walking along on Ketchikan Creek with the first rays of the Arctic sun, glinting on the icy waters and see an Eskimo trotting along behind his dog sled, cracking his whip in the air and hollering, Mush! 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 I'm hungry. Oh, Ever see a kid with an appetite like hers, Molly? Well, she'll outgrow it. All little girls are like that. Mm-hmm. They love menus when they're young, and they love used men when they're old. <laughs> now, will you help me take down the curtain? Mm. I'll drag him down with my teeth after that. One. <laughs> oh, I don't know, Molly. I don't think I will. I, I don't feel like that. I don't feel good. What's the matter? I'm worried about my skin. Well, take a warm bath and rub a little oil on it. No, no, no. I mean my bare skin. Oh. Those guys promised they'd send it to me just Come in. Hello there, kids. How's everything? (laughs) Did you have a nice summer, Mr. Sure did, daughter. Hey, Molly, watch his eyes pop out when he finds out where we've been. You know where we went this summer, old-timer? No, I don't, Johnny. Personally, I went up to Alaska. <laughs> Alaska? Yep. Wonderful country. Shot a bear, too. <laughs> you 
You shot a bear? Yep. One of the biggest bears ever shot in Alaska. Oh, sure. Never mind about me. Where'd you kids go? Well, remind us to lend you a lightning rod when you leave, Mr. Oldtimer. Why, daughter? You just stole our thunder. <laughs> Door. Or it would be if I knew what you meant. <laughs> that ain't the way I heard it. Oh, sure. The way I heard it, one feller says, tell the feller, say, he says, this Joe Lewis is a great fighter, all right. He's practically invisible. You mean invincible, says t'other feller. I do not, says first feller. I could see him as plain as I can see you. <laughs> I gotta be getting along, kids. Remind me sometime, tell you about Alaska. That's a great country. <laughs> that does it. What, McGee? Sit down, Molly. I, I, there's, there's something I want to tell you. McGee, what is it? Don't look like that. You frighten me. Sit down, Molly. But what do you want to tell me, dearie? I want to tell you about my trip to Alaska. <laughs> But I was right there with you, remember? I know, but I got to tell somebody or I'll bust. Oh. All right, dearie, go ahead. Thanks. Well, sir, if you ever saw the first rays of the Arctic sun glinting on the icy waters of Ketchikan Creek... Heavenly days up the creek again. Waiting for Fibber and Molly to return, I'd like to have a moment with you to say farewell to September and hello to October. Where the months have gone, don't ask me. But what to do about that car of yours that needs an October beauty treatment? Well, I can certainly answer that one. Make it sparkle and shine with Johnson's Car New, the sensational auto polish that both cleans and wax polishes in one application. Perhaps you'd like to know that during the past season, Car New has enjoyed the greatest sales increase of its history. More and more car owners have discovered how easily, how inexpensively, they can clean and wax polish their cars this modern way. Car new saves time. Car new saves money. Where can you buy it? Ask your regular wax dealer, auto supply store, or service station for the one and only Johnson's Car New, spelled C-A-R-N-U. Ladies and gentlemen... Molly and I and the Johnson Wax people and all of us would like to take this occasion to wish Harold Perry every success with his new Sunday afternoon program, The Great Gildersleeve. Yes, we'll miss him on Tuesday night, but we're proud that our association was a stepping stone toward his own show. And if he learned anything from me about the finer points of acting and timing and characterization... It'd be a miracle. Yes, (laughs) Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night and reminding you that America's first line of defense is you and your support. So invest to the best of your ability in defense savings bonds. Good night.
Well, here's that man again to suggest to all you careful housekeepers that you try just one bottle of Johnson's Cream Wax, the newest form of wax polish made especially for furniture and woodwork. No oil to collect dust, cleans as it polishes, gives furniture an exquisite wax luster, real wax protection. That's the Cream Wax story. And by the way, dealers are now offering a tube of Johnson's Blem free with the 39-cent bottle of Johnson's Cream Wax. Blem is a marvelous blemish remover that takes off ugly white rings, stains, and scratches from furniture. Get the combination package of Johnson's Cream Wax and Blem for only 39 cents. This is the Red Network of the National Broadcasting Company. Copyrighted program transcribed and dedicated to the prevention of crime. Calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 253 regarding a murder. Investigate at once. That is all. Gordon. of passion are usually committed by amateurs who think themselves more than a match for the incisive thinking, experienced law officer. This type of criminal will spend much time and effort in planning a cover-up for his crime. He really thinks he is a master criminal, but forgets just one little thing. There is no such criminal. There is no perfection in crime, just as there is no perfection in any human effort. Some trace of the crime is always left uncovered. Some bit of evidence is always exposed to the keen eye of the investigating officer. And once he cites it, and fits it into the puzzle of the crime, the criminal is as good as under arrest. We now present a case in point of the foregoing assertion, a case founded on fact, drawn from law enforcement authority records, the case of the barking dog.
out there. Oh, it's you. What have you got that rifle for? Hey, don't point it at me. Stop it, I tell you. Listen, I know you don't like me, but don't do that. You'll hang. You can't get away with anything like that. Put that gun down. I'll give you anything you want, even money. Please don't. Why don't you say something? Stop pointing that gun! Speaking, I should say it was uh, nighttime. All right, I want to know what time it is. What do you want to know the time for? I want to know if it's time to go home. But the dance isn't over. Will you tell me all what... All right, all right. Five after eleven. Well, let's go. This place is getting on my nerves. You were anxious enough to get here. What's the matter with you tonight? There's nothing the matter with me tonight. Are you going to take me home or aren't you? Okay. Where's Jane? Send her out to the car. Then you knew what time it was. Well, what do you mean by that crash? Oh, nothing. I just can't figure you out sometimes. Well, don't try to figure me out. I'm going to get wrecked. That's another thing. Have you ever brought that dog along for? I don't know. I've got dog hairs all over You me. can get them off. It's nice of the garage man to let us tie him in here. Rick, keep quiet. Because you'll crawl all over us all the way home. Wouldn't mind if it was a poodle, but a police He dog. crawls over me, too, don't he? Yeah, if I had my way, we'd tie him on the back of the car and see how fast he can run. Hold still, Rex. Hold still till I get this rope untied. There. Now get down, Rex. Get down. Get down, you or... Don't you kick him. He'll bite you. Who's the ugly cur would at that? Well, now we'll have to get the kids from the picture show. They won't be out until 12. Well, you'll have to go in and find them. Why don't you? They're your kids. You know my eyes aren't good enough to see anything in a dark place like that. Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't let your husband bring you to the dance. Hard to get out. If you ever bring that dog oh, again... stop hopping about that. You children stay in the car a minute. Then you go in and see if my husband's still up. Of course he is, Mother. The light's still on in the kitchen. Well, go ask him to come out for a minute, Dan. Why don't you go ask him? He's your husband. Oh, do what I tell you. I... Well, I want to look at the moonlight. Don't be crying out loud. I think you're nuts. Your old man's going to think so, too, when I ask him to come out and look at the moonlight with you. See, it's a swell night, isn't it, Mother? Yeah. You better go tie up the dog, Jane. Why? Is anybody coming? No, but tie him up anyhow. But why? Do what I tell you. Well, all right, Mother, but you needn't get so excited. Mildred, come here, quick. What do you want? What's the matter? Come here, make the kids stay in the car. The children stay there. What's the matter, Dan? Dan, is anything wrong? Where's Mr. German? Isn't he in there? No, he's not in here. Something else is. What is it, Dan? What is it? Look. On the floor there. It's blood. Something's happened to him. Something terrible, I know it. I uh, guess we'd better look around. Did you got a flashlight? Here, there's one in the drawer. You want to come with me? Yeah, I got to, Dan. I've just got to. All right. It looks bad. Dan, you were at the dance all evening, weren't you? You didn't go out, did you? Of course not. Danced every dance with you, didn't I? Yeah, sure. And lots of people saw you there, didn't they? Sure. Hey, listen... Do you mean that people might think that I... I don't know, Dan. I'm scared. Yeah, so am I. Look, something's been dragged along here. Looks like it was a body. How do you know it was a body? I don't know what it was. Do you? Of course I don't. Look, it was dragged through the break in the fence here. Yeah. 
over this furrowed ground. What's that out there? That's it. It's him. I can't look, Dan. Tell me quick. Is he dead? Yeah. Well, he's dead, all right. Hey, you're going to tell the kids tonight? I forgot about them. You take them into a hotel in town, Dan. I'll phone the sheriff. Yeah, you phone the sheriff, and when he gets here, you tell him where I went and tell him I'll come right back, because if I don't come back, they'll come and get me. In response to a frantic telephone call from the wife of the murdered man, Sheriff Harry Patterson and Deputy Melvin Plaw sped to the ranch. They were greeted by the vicious growling of the dog, Rex. That sounds like a mighty vicious dog. The wonder it didn't go after the killer. It's an angle. If it wasn't tied up, it proves the dog knew the guy that killed German. Hey, wait a minute. Even if it was tied up, its barking should have warned him. So the dog must have known the murderer. That's right. I'll have to ask about that. Yeah, funny set of footprints leading off into the dark there. I can find out where the tracks lead to tomorrow. Uh, here's the body. Doesn't look like there was any struggle. There have been a lot of struggle somewhere else, though. We'll find that out when we get in the house. Throw your flashlight down here. Okay. Hmm. There are a lot of footprints. There's a set of prints that have been made by somebody dragging their feet. Must have been a cripple. Uh-uh. Cripple couldn't drag this body. Whoever made those tracks scuffed his feet deliberately. Whoever pulled this job was smart. Or thought he was. Looks like that lets the wife out. Doesn't let anybody out. Turn that light a little closer down here. There's a bullet hole in this man's throat. Uh-oh. Here's something. What have you found? Look at the back of this fellow's neck. There's been a rope around it. Here's some of the fibers still clinging to the flesh. We'll just take them along to compare with any ropes we happen to pick up. We'll probably find the ropes bloody, too. Well, let's go in the house. I want to talk to Mrs. German. You know, I can't figure out about that dog. It just doesn't make sense that a guy would sit in the house while that dog was raising so much cane. I've been thinking about that. We'll find out in just a minute. Hey, wait a minute. What's that on the ground down there? Huh? Hmm. A man's watch. A crystal broken. Let me just take this along. Huh. The hands are bent, and it stopped at about 9.35. That fixes the time he got it, or was dragged down the steps here. Please don't cry, Mom. Uh, we, uh, we know how badly you feel about this, Mrs. German, but in order to apprehend the murder of your husband, we've got to ask you to tell us all you can. Now, do you recognize this watch, Mrs. German? It is. We found him out there. Mother, please go lie down. I'll tell them what they want to know, and I'll come into you as soon as I can. Did your father have any enemies? No. Not, not a one in the world. Have you found any signs of robbery? No. We found his wallet here on the kitchen floor, and the money's still in it. Just tell us everything that's happened this evening. All right. Well, you see, Father didn't feel like going to the dance, so Dan Phelps took Mother and me. He's coming back here as soon as he leaves my brother and sister at the hotel in town. We had a good time at the dance, and long, long about 11 o'clock, I guess, we left and picked up the children. They'd gone to the show. Then we drove home. When we got here, we saw the light on in the kitchen, but Dad wasn't in the house. We tied up the dog. We'd taken him to the dance with us and started looking for Dad. Then, then they found him out there in the field. So, well, Mother phoned you right away, and... Oh, I, I guess that's about everything that's happened until you got here. So you took the dog to the dance with you? Yes. Why did you do a thing like this? Oh, he has an awful nasty habit of running after the car. He did it tonight, and we didn't want him to get lost. It was too late to bring him back, so we just took him in the car. Huh. 
Now, just suppose, Miss German, that that dog had been here instead of at the dance. Uh, would he attack an intruder or bark at him? Well, the point is, he growled at us. He didn't know us. But would he have barked at someone uh, he knew if he had been here? Oh, yes, yes. He's vicious with everyone except the family. Oh, vicious with everyone, eh? Jane, I'm feeling better now. What, what were you saying? We were asking about the dog. I understand he's a good watchdog. Oh, yes. I had Jane tie him up so he wouldn't bother you. Oh, so he wouldn't bother us. Yes. I'm glad you did that, Mrs. German. Mighty glad. Now, uh, Jane, will you tell us again just what happened when you got home from the dance and got out of the car? Oh, certainly. I'll tell them, Jane. No, no, let your daughter tell us. Go ahead, Jane. Well, Mother asked Dan to go in the house for Father, and then she asked me to tie Rex up. So he wouldn't bother us. In other words, Mrs. German, you knew we were coming out here before you found your husband's body. You knew someone had murdered him. No, no, that's not true. Mother, what did they mean? That's not the way it happened, I tell you. How did it happen, then? It wasn't that way. It was... Oh, I can't remember. You know plenty about this. Now tell us the truth. Who did it? I don't know. I don't know a thing about it. I don't! I don't! I don't! the evidence of the murdered man's watch to mark the hour when his dead body was dragged from the kitchen, supported by the evidence of the coroner's report that German had been dead not more than two hours, Sheriff Patterson and his deputies began checking the stories told by the dead man's family. A fingerprint in blood on the kitchen floor was photographed. The deadly bullet was proved to have come from a twenty-two caliber rifle. Several days later in the sheriff's office, Patterson confers with Floor. So, Mildred spent $60 for clothes the day before her husband was killed. That's interesting. A lot of unusual for a ranch wife to spend that kind of money. Did you check on the rest of their alibis? Yeah, they're okay. They were at the dance before 9.35 and stayed there all evening. The kids were at the movies. What would you find out about this Dan Phelps that was with her? Well, his record's clean. Well-known, well-liked. According to the neighbors, German was plenty stingy. Never gave his wife any money and the kids went around and made over clothes. I wonder where she got that money. Why don't you ask her? I've questioned her every day. She shut up like a clam. If we could find the guy that gave her that dough... We'd have the murderer. You don't suppose Phelps gave it to her? Ah, he never had $60 at once in his life. I'm going to let him go. The other prisoners are going to miss him, though. He keeps them entertained with his imitations. Well, personally, I'm a little fed up with his screwball imitations. I believe Mrs. German's covering up something. That dog episode worries me. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for a couple of women dressed for a dance to load a big dog like that in the car and take him along. It's not exactly usual for a middle-aged married woman to be running around at dances with a guy half her age, either. Some of the gossip I've picked up indicates that this fellow Phelps used to room with the German family. Hmm. He never told us about that. Why don't we bring her in and talk to her about it? It's a good idea. They're both out in the next office. You go out and send Phelps in here. Leave the door open so a middle German can hear us. What are you going to do? I'm going to try something. Okay. Come in, Dan. Sit down. How do you feel? Oh, all right, I guess. Have a cigarette? Thanks. I sure need one. Helps, I'm jailing you on more than suspicion. You can't take him. You can't arrest him. He didn't kill John. He never killed my husband. You just pulled his son to see if there was anything between him and me. I love him. Sure I do. John German was a drunken beast. But Dan never killed him. He never did it. I swear he didn't. How do you know? You know we weren't at home and John was killed. None of us. No, not even the dog. But we'll find out who did it and why. While Sheriff Patterson and Undersheriff Money checked every available lead in town, Deputy Floor was busy in the community surrounding the German home running down clues and questioning neighbors about possible enemies of the slain man. At 
last, late in the afternoon, Floor called the office, and Sheriff Patterson sped to the German farm. Well, that's all excitement, Mel. I believe I've got a lead on that noose for you. You mean the rope that was around German's neck? Yeah, I'm pretty positive it's the same rope. I've compared the strands we found on German's neck with this rope, and it appears to be the same. Here, take a look. Hmm. It does look like it, doesn't it? And those stains there. I'd say they're blood stains. Mel, I believe you've really found something this time. Where'd you find this rope? Right over there in those bushes. I followed those dragging tracks out this way, and the rope was lying under a bush by the fence. I found it right back of that shack over there. Uh, who lives in it? An old fellow named Williams. Happy Williams. <laughs> Who's he? Well, from what I can find out from the neighbors, he's been living here for years. Knows practically everybody. Know the Germans? Yeah, according to reports. That's really how I happened to be over this way. I was going to stop by and talk to Williams, but after I found the rope, I didn't go. I yeah. called you. Yeah, that's a better idea. After all, this rope may not be the one we're looking for. Well, I don't know who's crazier, Williams or his neighbors. Why so? Well, he's silly, but as kind-hearted as they come. Well, that is being crazy in this day and age. But the crazy idea that people have about him is that he's got lots of money hoarded. Yeah, they say that about every hermit. I talked to several people who say they saw him flash a roll that'd choke a cow. Why, well, let's take a visit over to see our hermit friend. Well, it'll be like visiting a branch bug house if the inside's anything like the outside of the dump. Maybe he's got another piece of rope, and I hope a twenty-two rifle. If he has, we'll borrow it. Hermit shack, I never saw one. It looks even more dilapidated than I imagined. And that's saying something. Howdy, boys. Who might you be looking for? Are you happy, William? Yeah, sure, that's me. Well, we're looking for you. <laughs> you don't see. I ain't had a visitor for nigh on to three years. <laughs> Uh, you sure you ain't looking for somebody else? Yes, we're sure. Uh, do you mind if we come in for a minute? We have a few questions to ask you. Oh, sure. Come on in. Make yourself to home. Uh, what there is of it. And uh, uh, any questions you ask will be gratefully received, as the saying goes. Hey, what did you put that heavy chain on the door for? Well, that, that's to keep the ghost out. Oh, I see. Yes, sir. They can walk right through the door, but <laughs> they can't get by that chain. Well, uh, where do these ghosts come from? Oh, ghosts don't come from no place. And they ain't going no place. <laughs> What'd be the use? <laughs> When they got there, they'd still be a ghost. Well, you've got something there. Yeah. Say, who are these ghosts, or who were they? Oh, oh, oh. mostly gals that I, I loved. <laughs> One time or t'other, <laughs> they're hating me because I wouldn't marry them. Oh, they're all female ghosts? No. No, sometimes their husbands come bellyaching around. Oh, <laughs> uh, you ought to have a rifle to protect yourself. Oh, no, 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 not me. If a rifle went off, it might hurt something. Happy, why did you give Mildred German $60 last week? Is that all I give her? Oh, I should have given her more. Sometimes I think I'm uh, getting to be a miser. Well, then you did give it to her. Sure, sure. I, I give lots of people money. Uh, uh, you want some, boys? It's right here in this box. Uh, there. Uh, there you are, boys. J just help yourself. Say, that's a young fortune. 
Where'd you get all this money? I just sent for it. Got this whole sack for a dollar. Well, I'll be... This is stage money. Stage money? Uh Uh-huh. What's the idea there? Well, I ain't so tempted to spend that. Uh, Listen, Happy. Why did you kill John German? (laughs) Anything for a laugh, I always say. Where's the gun you shot him with? Oh, I didn't use no gun to shoot him. How did you kill him, then? Uh, Why don't you tell me? (laughs) Maybe we will sometime, Happy. But right now, we're in a hurry. We'll come back and see you some other time. All right, boys. I'll be waiting for you. So long, Happy. So long. Well, that's running into a blank wall. Maybe we didn't run into a blank wall, Mel. Give me some more details about what people think of Happy. Well, nobody knows anything definite. They just say he's balmy, silly, nuts. Uh, what's the most outstanding thing they say about him? That he's harmless. He's always telling people not to hurt anything. That's what I've been thinking about. That's what interests me most. What do you mean? I mean, I don't think he's as crazy as he's pretending to be. People that are a little nuts can be awful smart and cunning when they want to be. You mean you think he's just nuts about the subject of not hurting anyone? That's it, exactly. You mean you suspect Happy? I mean just that. Oh, I think he's completely nuts. If he is, I'll be too before we're through with him. Let's get back to the office. I want to talk to Mildred German. Mildred. What do you want? Mildred, you want the murder of your husband caught, don't you? Thought you'd made up your mind I did it. Would you be willing to help us catch the man who really did? I don't know. I couldn't do much. Maybe. Personally, I think Dan Phelps is the bird who killed your husband. You don't seem like the kind of woman who'd have her husband murdered. If you won't help us, it looks bad for you. What do you want me to do? Mel, you're pretty good at imitating voices, aren't you? Fair. Think you could imitate John German's voice? I guess so. Why? Tonight, we're going to pay a visit to Dan Phelps' cell. You really suspect Dan, you're nuts. Happy said he... Huh? Happy said he what? Why did you take that dog with you to the dance, Mildred? Well, Happy said the dog would bite him, and he was afraid... I'm afraid of what? I don't know. What's Happy got to do with this? I don't know. So that's the way it is, eh? That's the way it is. Okay, lady, we'll do it the hard way, then. Lock her up, Mel. Looks like we won't need your imitations. I think we'll call on our friend Happy Williams. Dogging around these parts. Hello, Happy. Don't you remember us? We're officers. Hey, you look just like a couple of fellas that was here a while ago. We're the same fellas. How about inviting us in? Sure, sure. Come on in. Set a spell. I thought we'd come over and uh, get acquainted with some of those ghosts we've been hearing about. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. They'll be right pleased to make your acquaintance. Don't they uh, ever scare you, Happy? They used to, kind of, but that is when we were strangers. They make right tolerable company now. You don't think they'll be around tonight, do you? Or do they run on regular schedule? Nope. You just look around and there they are. Hey, look, 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 look. There's one. J- just went by the window. Looks like a new one. Probably John German's ghost. John German? My goodness, when did he die? You know when, Happy. How should I know? Well, where'd you hide the rifle you shot him with, Happy? Oh, no. It ain't polite to say things like that. You fellas got a wrong idea. Uh, you're a great lover, aren't you, Happy? <laughs> 
How'd you know that? Oh, the neighbors told us. They told us a lot of things. <laughs> Mildred German told us some things, too. Hey, what'd she tell you? You're in love with her, aren't you, Happy? Huh? That's why you wanted John out of the way, isn't it? That's why you were afraid of the dog, isn't it? Oh, it ain't so. Now, there ain't a word of truth in it. Keep talking like that, I won't like it. That's why you killed him, isn't it? Dag nabbit, will you listen to reason? I couldn't kill John without hurting him, could I? And I can't stand to see nobody hurt. I just can't stand it. The only thing that don't make me happy, and I just got to be happy. You hurt John German plenty. Oh, don't talk like that. I can't stand it. You'll have to, Happy. You can't fool me. He's a ghost now, and ghosts can't feel nothing. You're right about that, but live folks can. What do you mean by that? I was thinking of how Mildred German's going to feel when they hang her. No, no, they can't do that. You, you can't hang her. Mildred German killed her husband. She'll have to pay for I it. I won't let you do it. I'll stop you just like I stopped him. Hey, watch it, Sheriff. Give me the rifle. Give it to me. Put the bracelets on him, Mel. All right. I've got him. That's all we wanted, Happy. We'll prove this is the rifle that fired the shot into John German's throat. Uh, all right, fellas. You got me. I did it. I shot him. He was a lousy hound. I loved her. I give her the only money she ever had. I loved her. She was a beautiful woman. And a good woman. And you were fooling us by pretending to be crazy and believing in ghosts. Yeah, sure I was. But when you said they was going to hurt her, I just couldn't stand it. Did she tell you to kill her husband? She said she was going to the dance. So I told her to take the dog along, and while I was gone, I'd make my little visit. He cheated her like a dog, I tell you, and he died like a dog. In just a moment, you will hear the summation of our story.
Happy Williams and Mildred German were both indicted for first-degree murder. Mildred German as an accessory before the fact. Both were tried for the crime. Although Mildred German denied that she had lured her fellow criminal to kill her husband, she was nevertheless found guilty and sentenced to prison. Happy was found insane and was committed to the state hospital for the insane. This planned murder proves once more that crime does not pay. Cars, attention all cars, cancellation broadcast 253. Suspects now in custody. That is all. Gordon.